Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Lessons from the Waiting Room with Susan Hemingway. This is where we learn about waiting on God and the lessons that can be learned along the way. Here's today's episode. In the last episode, I talked about waiting rooms and how we are often waiting on God for things that we want to have happen in our lives. Maybe it's a job change, maybe it's a change of location, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's children, maybe it's healing from sickness, all sorts of different things that we wait for answers from God. And remember, we're not just waiting on him, we're waiting with him because he is with us during all of these times. Because the Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. That is found in Hebrews 13, verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And verse 6 says, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So just remembering that he will never leave us nor forsake us should give us hope. Today, I want to talk about two kinds of waiting rooms. Waiting in despair versus waiting in hope. Is there something in your life that you have wanted for a long time and you feel like God is just keeping it away from you? It might be something that it's, it's okay to want. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not um, immoral to want this thing, but you just feel like God has just never given you a chance to have that thing that your heart desires so strongly. That can lead us to despair. So despair, according to um, just an online Google search, the definition is the complete loss or absence of hope. Well, to understand that more fully, we need to look at what hope is. So hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or be true, hopes for a promotion, hoping for the best, I hope so, Uh, to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment, I hope she remembers, I hope they have fun, I hope that I get that job, I hope that they are safe. These are all um, going along with the word hope. So despair, once again, is the complete absence of hope. So let's talk about what those two phases of waiting could be like if you're waiting in despair as opposed to waiting in hope. When I think of somebody who's waiting in despair or desperation, I think of a person that can only focus on the thing that has made them desperate, whatever that thing is. (music) 
Imagine, if you will, that you're in the grocery store with your young child and they see a box of cookies that they desperately want. And you have said to them, no, and you've put them back on the shelf. But that child is so focused on those cookies because that's all they can think about at that time. Remember, desperation is the absence of hope. And it does cause you to focus, hyper-focus on the thing that you're not getting at the moment. That even if you were to say, hey, I have this uh, tub of strawberries in the cart that we're going to get instead. And I know how much you like strawberries. And you as the parent know that strawberries are much healthier than cookies. But the child will like them um, as well as the cookies. That you are trying to reason with this child. But if the child is is a very young child, there's no reasoning because they don't have the ability to reason out the way that an adult has. Well, even as adults, when we get into that desperation mode where we're hyper-focused on that thing that we desperately want and why can't I have it, sometimes we can turn back into that two-year-old child and almost have a temper tantrum about it and be mad at God for the fact that he has not given us that thing that we know that we deserve because haven't I done A, B, C, X, Y, Z for you? Why won't you give me that thing that you know that I want so much that is a good thing to have? Well, probably the reason that he hasn't given you that thing is the very reason that you haven't given the cookies to the two-year-old child in the grocery store. You as the parent know that the cookies have a lot of sugar, have a lot of fat. And let me preface this by saying I love cookies and I'm not saying that you should never have any cookies, but I'm just using this as a, as an analogy here. You as the parents know that a strawberry is much better for your child than cookies are. You also may know that maybe they have a birthday party they're going to the next week and they're going to be eating a lot of birthday cake. You know all of these outside information pieces that the two-year-old has no uh, knowledge of or understanding of. So therefore, you're the, the one that's reasoning at this time, you can't have the cookies. Maybe at another time you can, but right now our focus is not on the cookies. Well, God knows our whole life from beginning to end. Let me read you a passage from Psalms. Psalm 139, the whole chapter is really about the all-knowing, ever-present God. And it talks about how well God knows us. Let me just read the first six verses of Psalm 139. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. So our God, who knows everything about my life, before I was even born, he knew every single day of my life. Because he's all-knowing. So you have to understand if if a God, the God, is all-knowing, then he knows everything. There's nothing hidden from him. So this God who knows everything about me before I was even born, 
he knows what is best for me. He knows what is best for you. He knows when the timing is right for this event to happen or that event to happen. He knows when the timing is wrong. He knows when the choice is not the best choice. For example, if you were waiting on a job and you want a job A, and God knows that there's job B that's going to open up if you wait like an extra month, and job B is going to be the better choice for you, it's going to be the better provision, the less stress, better location, the better situation, then wouldn't you want to have job B? Of course you would. Unfortunately, we try to act like we need to have all of the information ahead of time. And that's not how God works. If we go back to that picture of the two-year-old that doesn't have all the information, that isn't old enough to understand or reason everything that's going on concerning why they can't have the cookies right now, that picture reminds me of a verse from Job. Chapter 26, verse 14. Actually, let me back up a bit and go to verse 12. He, talking about God, he stirs up the sea with his power and by his understanding he breaks up the storm. By his spirit he adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So that was Job 26, verses 12 to 14. And I've always been struck by that phrase, the mere edges of his ways. We can't see the full picture. We can't see how all the pieces are put together in our life. If we knew ahead of time some of the things that are coming in our life that are hard, we wouldn't be able to handle it. We need to go through our life experiences one at a time in order to prepare us for any experiences in the future. And the best way to go through those experiences as a believer is to wait on God and to wait with God. This is the end of today's episode. I hope you'll tune in next time when I talk about how we can move from a waiting room of desperation to a waiting room of hope. Have a wonderful day.